A lot of you are familiar with the DNA Project and have been rocking with us for a while, but some of you aren't. A lot of you are faithful listeners of the podcast, but aren't familiar with some of the other work that we do. So I just want to take a quick moment to explain to you a little bit more of what we do. So you're getting married, or you have a friend, a cousin, a sister, somebody you know is getting married. Okay. You've booked your venue, caterers, photographer, all that good stuff. When it comes to live music, most people have no idea where to look. We have you covered. Picture this. During the ceremony, while guests are being seated, or while the bride's walking down the aisle. During the cocktail hour, while guests are just mingling and having a good time. Don't forget about dinner music. That's very important to set the mood while guests eat. And we definitely can't forget the party. Let's get the party started right now with The DNA Project. www.thednaproject.ca for more information. Hello, bonjour, and wagwan, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of The DNA Airwaves. Each episode of the podcast is produced, recorded, and mixed right here at the MPL in Toronto. The MPL is a collection of film and audio studios dedicated to making all things visual look amazing and all things audio sound brilliant. To learn more, please visit the-mpl, that's like maple, without the vowels, dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by The DNA Project. The DNA Project is a one-stop shop for all of your live entertainment needs. An incredible agency with world-class talent. Check them out online before your next event at thednaproject.ca. Our guest today is Judith Hill. Judith is an American singer-songwriter from Los Angeles, California. She appeared on season four of The Voice, making it to the top eight, and was also given the opportunity of a lifetime when she was chosen as Michael Jackson's duet partner on his final concert tour, This Is It. Judith Hill has also toured with award-winning artists like Josh Groban and John Legend. On this episode of the podcast, we chat to Judith about her time with the King of Pop, the time she spent with Prince, and Stevie Wonder. We also get into her musical journey and writing music for different mediums. Another great conversation. We hope you guys enjoy it. This is the DNA Airwaves. Bada bing, bada boom, I'm out of here. <laughs> I always freeze up at the countdown. It's just like, like <laughs> you say who goes first. How you guys doing? Good, good, man. Good, good. Good, good. Judith, we're so happy to have you here with us today. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, it's a big honor. So we have we have a lot of things. Well, I personally have a lot of things I want to ask you and talk to you about. So we're going to have some fun. Um, and uh, you've had such a great career, a grand career, as far as the amount of artists you've worked with and then your own body of work itself. So I thought maybe what we could do is at least to start... Talk to you a little bit about some of the work that you've done um, with artists and backup singing, things like that, and then switch over and kind of focus on your music and all that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, um, perfect. Yeah. So <clears throat> starting off, I mean, this is something that you've, in a way, for myself at least, and probably a lot of other musicians and just people like me have worked with some of the greats and one in particular is really just a standout um so I got to ask you about this before we even get started and that's your work with Michael Jackson can you just kind of just tell us in a nutshell how that came to be and yeah, we'll go from there yeah I mean it was very much a <clears throat> I was picked out of obscurity really I was I was um playing around town in LA like jazz jam nights and yeah um, about to work at a clothing store and um, I went to one jam and one of the musicians there was like, hey, you know, you're really awesome. Love your your sound. I happen to know um, 
Michael Jackson's MD and they're putting together auditions and would you like to just audition for it? I was just like, what? You know, it just came out of nowhere. (laughs) And so I'm thinking like, it's going to be like another American Idol situation, like Mm -hmm. million people auditioning. So I was like, yeah, sure. You know, like whatever. Um, It ended up being like him calling me or um, (laughs) the musician I was friends with it. Hey, you know, change your your profile picture on my at the time it was MySpace on MySpace because Michael's <laughs> on Michael's on your page right now and he's trying to see what you look like. I'm like oh, Michael man. Jackson's on my MySpace page. It was like crazy. <laughs> Damn. So um, basically, it ended up being me just coming in um, and auditioning, singing like "Remember the Time" and right. um, mm-hmm. "Man in the Mirror" and like mm. just a couple other massive hits yeah. um, with vocal director at his house uh, at the vocal director's house and me and this other girl was auditioning and wow like a week later they just called and said yeah you got the gig wow so it was just like this wow. crazy just like yeah just like that oh, yeah man okay I had did you hear heard... other musicians stories that were on that team did they have similar stories they were just picked out uh based on merit only I think like that, that yeah I thought I think a lot of the band was assembled by you know merit of people that they knew or recommendations um I know I do know that they did um hold like a big audition for the singers and didn't really find someone and then that's when it went to like personal wow. references which is where uh, you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah so they were really specific about what they were looking for um, yeah, and I was just, you know, I was just a random kid in L.A. I hadn't done anything <laughs> at that point. So it was very wow. um, kind of confusing to me, but it was, you know, amazing and incredible. That's that's crazy because my next question was going to lead towards what you were doing right before that. So yeah. I would have imagined, I'm sure a lot of us would have, that you had this, you know, whole big music thing going that led up to that point. Um, so that in itself is nuts. So what, yeah, what, hap- I mean, what happened I, next? Um. After that, I ended up, you know, getting the gig and then right away went into rehearsals because the band was already rehearsing. So okay. I jumped in in the middle of it and just kind of got thrown into the fire. And we started rehearsing and, um, you know, Michael joined the rehearsal, some of them. And then mm-hmm. like first rodeo to singing, you know, I Just Can't Stop Loving You was the one that's in This Is It. That was kind of like the first wow. time he stepped in and was like, all right, get up there, Judith, go ahead and just try it with him. So <laughs> that was, that was just kind of a wild, <clears throat> I didn't realize at the time that, I just thought we were going to sing it because it was like a ballad. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. okay, this is pretty, it's going to be pretty. I didn't realize there's going to be that much like movement. Like he was just like <laughs> <clears throat> using the whole yeah, stage, yeah. dancing around. I was like, oh my God, I never <laughs> thought that that would happen on this song. So it was, it was a roller coaster for sure. Jeez, <laughs> oh, how did you feel in that moment? I mean, it was it was surreal because he was sort of just like very much like I felt like I was I was um, thrown into like a tango dance in Argentina or something. <laughs> wow. He was very much like throwing me around and just like he had all these ideas of like how it should be choreographed. And so I was basically kind of pinching myself at the time, like, yeah, you're singing with Michael Jackson right now. Yeah, <laughs> like a body. Yeah. For those who wow. don't know, which I would be very surprised, but I'm sure somebody doesn't, um, we're talking specifically about the rehearsals for Michael Jackson's This Is It tour. Is that what it was called originally? 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, and unfortunately, uh, Michael Jackson passed away during those rehearsals, and then footage yeah. from those rehearsals uh, were packaged together, and that became a feature film that y- you could see in theaters, and I think all of us did here. Um, yeah, definitely. What was? I, I hope you don't mind that we have some Michael Jackson questions. I mean, you 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 spent your time with him during some of his last moments what was he like what how much did he uh really see? i'm interested because I, I in this is it you can see that in some places he he's not putting in the full energy to sort of conserve it uh how energetic was he on that set and how often did he jump in and how often did he just sit back and watch um, he was, he did a lot of blocking. He wasn't, you know, this was these were her rehearsals. He wasn't intending to go full full tilt on mm-hmm. on everything, but he had a lot of energy in terms of creativity, ideas, what he wanted, and just really. Um, there were times where he did actually really lean into the dances, and we were all just, you know, excited to see him go into it. I never remember imagine. this one time where he really did the whole. Um, 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 the beat it dance and, and oh. did like our entire <laughs> thing for us. Like he didn't, he didn't like um, just block it. He actually did it. And we were all just oh. like, oh, this is crazy. But um, yeah, no, I mean, oh, he gosh. was definitely energetic and had a lot that he was doing at the rehearsal. So, I mean, you must have learned just a ton from that experience. And I'm a true believer that genius leaves clues. And I mean, for a lot of us, we've seen, I guess the after result, just as far as your work goes um, from that point to where you are now is pretty tremendous to watch you perform and everything that you do and that you've been involved with from your music to your writing. Um, So I guess just kind of following up on Michael Jackson and that time in your life, kind of what catapulted, I think, your career in some ways at least, what would you say some of the greatest lessons were from that period? I think one of the greatest lessons was just um, seeing how big and the scope of how how impactful you can use music to touch and inspire people. I had sure. hadn't seen it on such a big scale like that, and to to be a part of Michael's stage was really um, <clears throat> inspirational for me as a dreamer. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been sort of a kid that loved fantasy films and and always saw music as like sort of this whimsical vehicle that transports people into this other dimension and and really like elevates the human experience and so michael was like one of the epitomes of of that and and his ability to really dream big and to realize the dream in such a powerful and visual way Mm -hmm. and also instill meaning and package that meaning and become like this prophet figure really wow. seeing that on such a um a close and personal level really changed my understanding because I was I was kind of a nerdy um composition kid I, I studied classical composition prior to all of this and yeah. um I studied I got a degree in music composition and so yeah. I always loved music and I was born and raised in a family of musicians you know yeah. but Michael was my first experience as like an artist um, and thinking outside of like just seeing music in more of a leadership position, like this is right. what you can uh. do. This is how you can weaponize music to bring about really massive change. And so that was really powerful to see. That's huge, yeah. 
Um, do you uh, do you like writing more than you like performing? I like them both. I, I, I like performing the best. And I love writing, especially when, you know, I'm in the zone and I know what I'm going for. And um, yeah, I, but I would say I'm a performer. I love I love performing. Nice. How, what, so, do you remember the first time you ever went on stage to perform? Like pre-Michael Jackson, of course. I mean, like as a young kid. Uh, yeah. I mean, as a kid, I was always in church performing. I think the first right. rodeo, probably in the kids' choir at four years old or five years old or something like that. But, yeah. you know, I grew up in a very um, special church where there were a lot of very talented singers and people there at that church. And so that was sort mm -hmm. of like a good place where I, or like a schooling um, where I learned how to sing and perform. You know, it's funny. I didn't, I never actually read or heard anywhere that you grew up playing in church or singing in church. But oh. from listening to your music and especially your piano playing, although you mm -hmm. have the classical background, I knew right away you could, you could definitely hear the influence there. It's so yeah. strong. You also mentioned your, your musical family. And I've seen some performances where you have your mother and, and your father, I believe, both mm -hmm. on stage with you. Yeah. I could imagine, I mean, they're both like world-class musicians. So I could imagine they had a, a lot of influence on on your, yeah, I guess, your journey through music as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Can you talk to us a yeah. little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, they're like really my first teachers and really <clears throat> so, so much a part of my inspiration. And, you know, my dad was Billy Preston's bass player. For, for years yeah. and um, my mom is a jazz and amazing gospel piano. So she she's like, they're really much, I grew up in the, in the house just kind of jamming at home. That was part of like everyday life is like get up nice. on the instruments or just sing and, and, and record music. And so that, that was like really sort of like chapter one of mm. all of it pre everything was just being at home and, and seeing all these people like around us, like Rose Stone and people that were my my family friends um, were yeah. big, much a big part of like my upbringing and, and how I grew to love and know music. Amazing, amazing. Um, and I mean, we're probably a little bit all over the place now, just because there's so many aspects to what you do <laughs> and what you've done so far. Because I know you, you're a musician yourself. You play piano, you play guitar, maybe some other instruments. You sing. Your backup work has already spoken for itself, which is. A whole nother thing. How do you wear all these different hats? And like, is are, what's your approach to say backup singing versus your own music when you're front and center? Um, I, I, you know, I think that <clears throat> I haven't done backup in a minute, but yeah. I love the backup singers because they're they're really much such a very important piece of the band. You know, they're the ones that really sure. support the vocalists and really shape the sound. So um, I, I find their work to be super powerful. And I, and I work with singers now who are in my band who I just absolutely love singing with. And they're like friends that I grew up singing with. And they're, so I love that so much. And, you know, as far mm -hmm. as everything else, it's been just this like crazy journey, evolution of just me um, first starting as a, as a, as a, kind of piano girl and then going into the composition world. And, you know, I, I, I always sung in, in school or sung growing up, but yeah. I didn't study singing. I, I was like really a mm. composer. And then my first rodeo out of college was 
backup singing. And so I just did that for a little bit. And then, you know, I did my own thing and, you know, playing instruments and all that. So it's been a really wild ride of a bunch of stuff, you know, but it's all been really, you know, exciting chapters. Definitely. Love it. How does uh, studio work factor into this? I would imagine as a composer and a performer, the studio might be somewhere where all that intersects for you. Yeah, I mean, the studio is definitely, um, it's an exciting place for me when I, I'm ready to do a new record and I have like mm-hmm. all this creative juice and I'm just going in there, you know. Yeah. Um, I love the studio when it's like creating a new project. Um, but I'm not like a studio rat. Like, I don't love spending all my time in the studio. I'd rather right. be, you know, okay, jamming. Okay, tell us about that. Why don't you like the studio? Because we on this show we do talk about the positives of the studio a lot, uh-huh. and okay. uh, I, I'd like to hear a pro's opinion on what you know what what don't you like about it about being a studio rat as you called it. Um, I think it just depends on the season for me. When I have all this like creative energy and I'm ready to go, I love creating. But I think that I don't I don't like sort of like the isolation aspect of it or, or just even in this pandemic, like of, all right, I'm just going to be in the room and just mm-hmm. like, I, I think that mm-hmm. there are seasons where I enjoy that, but this season particularly, I was just like, I needed, I get, I get my inspiration from being on stages and that's how mm-hmm. I, that informs me of what I'm going to write next. Yeah. So, so the studio is a winter able, endeavor. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so when I'm not able to do that, you know, I feel like it kind of it messes with my head a little bit and I'm I'm in the studio and I'm sort of like in this cocoon world, which I don't really that's not the type of energy my music is actually drawn from more of a interactive, um, community based music. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um like I don't write for Spotify. Like I write I write thinking like, okay, this is how it's gonna hit when we're in front of, you know, 200 people in front of 1,000 people in front of 10,000 people. And this is how this song moves in time and space. And that's how I write music. So um, when I'm not informed of the outside world um, in that way, it does kind of mess with my head and my creative process. Can we just let's back up for a second and talk about writing for Spotify as a professional Mm -hmm. performer and writer. um, That's a concept that comes up a lot for you recently can you tell us what that's like what are people doing how are people writing for mm-hmm. spotify and what part of that are you not into yeah that's so question. um that's a great question mm-hmm. you know spotify music to me it's <clears throat> it doesn't um when you're thinking about the way people are listening to it whether it's on their phone or mm-hmm. alone in 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 you write in a more um you write for, I almost say you write for the phone. It's like this intimate way where the beat hits and everything kind of magnifies. And mm-hmm. so you, you you tend to start writing like that. And if you and, and the music that I love and I've grown up in um, has really big energy that hits so differently um, on a stage or in front of people. It's like massive energy. Yeah. Whereas if you play it on Spotify, you might miss that energy because it might be too big for the platform and you might just be like, it's like whenever someone's listening to like a big classic rock song or a soul song and they're like, okay, cool. And then they hear 
you know, the song with the 808 and like the vocal with the reverb and it's like, it sounds mm-hmm. massive, right? Because it's yeah, like, yeah. it was written for the platform. And really, if you played that on a stage, it would not compete with <laughs> a Stevie Wonder yeah. song, you know? Like, yeah, they're yeah. trying to captivate like, and keep your attention. song with like a reverb and then Stevie comes after you and does superstition and you get slaughtered, you know? Yeah. But it's opposite <laughs> on a yes. digital platform where everything right. is about like this intimate space and we start writing that way and we actually mm. lose perspective about what that actually does in real time and space and so for me mm. as a writer i write about and more in like a traditional older time and space and so yeah. that's why it's tough for me because i mean i do not to say i don't love writing the intimate or like the the modern aspects of song i do do that too but yeah. i tend to gravitate more into like visceral energy um yeah thank you for no that. i totally understand what you're saying but just to kind of continue on the writing do you think about that before you put pen to pad or whatever you know what i mean when you start writing you're you're conscious about all of that before you write or do you just write whatever you're feeling at that moment um i'm usually like conscious of of like what is like what type of energy i'm trying to do and and like Mm -hmm. my intention um and so once i get into like a flow i i'm i have no problem just writing 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 but i'm usually intentional about like and and I do and I am intentional a lot, especially because I I do a side hustle of of a lot of sync songs where right. you know this pandemic, you know, really saved me financially was just writing, you know, songs yeah. for TV film and all that, which is very much of what I'm talking about, which I get annoyed about. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But it's like, you know, for me personally as an artist and what I do for my fan base, I I, I tap into like my roots and what I grew up on, which is the mm. jam the jam music of like my household and yeah. all the influences. And so that that I understand what the groove what groove it is and um and it's also it's interesting, you know, my work with, with Prince, it, it, he 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 brought up a really interesting point because I had a song that I that I loved and it was this beautiful song and he was like yeah. it was a set of chord changes, it was a four chord, you know, pop you know, cycle. And, you know, I was like, yeah, and he loved the song. And he was like, but how big do you want this song? Like, what type of spacing do you want? Do you, do you, do you want this song to be like a song that really registers in like a jazz club? Or are you thinking Mm -hmm. like an arena? Like, and I was like, I want the arena. He's like, okay. So he changed the chords. He just tweaked the chords, the four chords into something that was a little more open and it huh. was it, the energy of the song like massively changed just with that little tweak. So I always think about that. Like I always think about that question. Like what, how, what's the space? Like how many people are you uh-huh. thinking are listening to this? You know. How often do you end up writing? Do you write like every day or once or twice a week? Um, I write like <coughs> probably once every two or three days. Sometimes I write, you know, mm. two songs a day or. Um, you know, it just depends on the flow. But yeah, right. I, I, I don't go a week without writing. So you are a little bit disciplined about making sure that you're writing somewhat consistently? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Whether it's for for a project that's outside of my own or if it's for my own work, you know, I, I, I end up writing, you know, through the week. Right, okay, I see what you're saying. Because sometimes there's gigs or projects that you've... Yeah, and sometimes I take a break from it, and I'm just in the jam mood, like I'm just jamming on on material, and that's yeah. great. You know, how do you? I like. I'm just curious as someone that's tried to write songs in a low, low level, but how do you go from like just writing for the sake of writing to like having this 
um, not mission, but like a particular idea and project that the person wants to convey and you have to sit down and kind of help them convey that message. Is that is that something that you have to work at or is that just something over the years you just kind of fell into and was able to do? You're talking about for like someone else's like a, a, a TV spot or something like that. For, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. No, that's usually like it's kind of a fun challenge because it's like you you don't have to it doesn't have to be everything you love. It's just like, all right, here are the things I know what's going to hit. And yeah. you just kinda, and it's real like. They have like there's always like kind of a template of like oh we want the song to be inspirational or whatever and so you just sort of tap into, you know what what you know what works and, and keep things simple and keep things very digestible and and right. like think of like if it's like you've only got like the thirty seconds or the sixty seconds it's all those these like little <clears throat> things that you think of when you're trying to write something commercial you know mm, um, right yep yeah and I definitely have a struggle with that because I push back because I'm you know, right now it's like music is not really as, I mean, there, there are like the very commercial songs out there. And then there's just like the tradition of like, let's just be super artistic and the the less recognizable the song, the cooler it is. Like if I can't remember (laughs) anything in the song, that means it's a great song. (laughs) It's like, you have like the balance of like, you know, sort of like the the hipster kids that just want it to be like very cool, and then you, a song where it's like, no, they were writing this, mm. and it will make us money as much as we right. hate how <laughs> it is. You know what I mean? So, it's gonna mm. be middle ground. That's true. Okay, well, I have two questions now. Do you ever <laughs> <laughs> get to write music that is both sync worthy and you love it? That's question number one. Um, sometimes, like sometimes that happens by accident. Mm. Um, I will say, <laughs> I will say for the most part, like my albums or just the songs that I write as an artist, the songs I perform mm. on stages are not necessarily sync songs. Like they're, mm. you know, the sync songs are very, you know, for me, they're like, <clears throat> they're like pseudo soul songs. Like mm. if it's a real <laughs> version of soul, then they're, oh, you man. know. <laughs> Like it kind of bothers, yeah. It's yeah. like it's try. It's like be soulful, but don't don't like give them the real thing. That's like mm, sort of what a right. sync song is. What is sin? <laughs> For those of you wondering, sync means synchronization, like synchronizing to video. That's what we mean when we say sync songs. My other question, I uh, my pastime is trying to figure out if Prince was uh, just messing around. Or if he really, because he was kind of all over the place with his behavior, um, in a in a very cool way. I, I like stories about artists that are you know that creative, and their their interesting sort of idiosyncrasies. Um, you know, not in the gossipy kind of way, but like I remember Kevin Smith was talking about how Prince wanted a, a camel in the middle of winter, and then we talked to Kalindo, who was like. No, he was chill. He was doing the dishes. Uh, <laughs> do you have any Prince stories that you could share? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, it's kind of a hard question to ask or answer because it just depends on like what what you like. You're talking about something funny. You want like, well, what stood out to you as sort of because I feel like an eccentric behavior is often tied with the creativity, right? It's like the same part of the brain when not making mm-hmm. music does other things. 
did you what was that interaction like what was he like um very eccentric and and very creative and just like mm. very much of a thinker though like very much of the person that you can spend seven or eight hours just discussing philosophy, religion, social mm-hmm. society, social justice and music and how those things intersect. And, you know, and and so, you know, he was very uh, just a very fascinating person to talk to just just on the on the front of just all the knowledge and just yeah. such a um, curious person, just like yeah. anything that was like weird and like interesting music he wants to know all about it so mm-hmm. like yeah i mean that he was a very unique individual i i really miss just that dialogue because it's a rare dialogue to just get with somebody who's just that intense and um excited about things you know Can imagine yeah wow um so you're speaking about your music and you actually had a well your last album that came out uh, baby i'm hollywood i took a listen to that absolutely amazing um so i assume that you had gone through actually i heard you say somewhere that when you write you just go for it like it's an ocd type of thing almost where you just you sit down and you just bang it out there's no stopping was this album that process and can you kind of talk us through how the songs came together on this last one yeah so that album came straight to me right after i got on to off tour um in 2019 and it was just like a very OCD, got right straight in the studio and like mm. did it in three weeks. Like it was just very much like, a, I just, I knew what I wanted to do and I was really excited about um, recording it. And um, I was just informed from all the shows I was doing. I was like, it was one of those things where it was like, I was doing my sets and I was like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had this groove that came after that song? And then, oh, what we need is this song that does this. And then people go crazy. Like, so this record was really just me writing all the stuff I really wanted to hear on stage and all the things I wanted to do on stage. And I just got back and I and I knocked it out. When you say uh, three weeks, you banged it out. Is that including writing? Yeah. So the right, it was like more like, yeah, it was like between the writing, the writing took wow. like three weeks. Yeah. Okay. Cause it was like, once amazing. I start, once I start like one song and then it's just like everything kind of like, I know what I want. Yeah. happened you know and then of course the the recording the mixing took a little bit longer but yeah, yeah it was just yeah. like the writing and then and it was more of a um also it was more of a tracking like we just went in and and, and like the band tracked it so it wasn't like a type of record where i'm like you know going crazy and re- like doing a lot of replacing and fight it was just more okay. of like a band driven song you know or just the driven album yeah yeah gotcha do you ever experience writer's block and how do you kind of like cope with that or get past that kind of jam that some people get stuck in a, or unsure about how to go with a song or how to finish a song? Yeah. I mean, I get writer's block. I've had it this year. I think, I think the thing that's helped me with that is like just <clears throat> going back to stuff that really um, makes me excited Mm-hmm. Whenever I'm excited about music, that's where the writer's block just kind of melts away. So right. if, I, if I find that I'm like too much in sort of a analytical space or I'm not doing what I love, then yeah. then the writer's block kind of comes. But if I'm like just, you know, just even if I need to jam and office things like that I love just for a minute, just to get into excited and, and be reminded yeah. of what I love, that's usually what helps me unravel on that writer's block. 
Nice. No, that makes sense for sure. Do you write with instruments in hand usually, or is it just programming it into a computer, singing yeah. into your phone? What's the process? The process is different. For uh, I mean, a lot of times I, I write with the instrument in the hand, or which instrument I write. Uh, either like a guitar or a bass or a keyboard. It just mm -hmm. varies depending on what I'm trying to do. Yes. Um, but then a lot of times I'll write, I'll take a walk and I'm I'm just like singing what I need to sing. And that's how I write it. Like, <laughs> I'm like, because I love music so much. I love groove so much yeah. that sometimes I'll, you know, get really into like a song. Be like, oh, the song is done. I don't care what I sing on top of it. This is great. You know? Like <laughs> right, right. the groove is right. But then as a vocalist, then I'm sort of getting the short end of the stick a little bit. So then I'll do the opposite mm. where I'll just go and walk and I'll be like, no, like, if you need, if sing this acapella, like I don't want to hear just like if you yeah. can kill this acapella while you're walking and it's like a total like vocally it's doing it's hitting all the P's and Q's you want it to do. And it's just got that melody that really hits yeah. the sweet spot and not just like but the, the melody, the shape of the melody is really like giving you enough ammunition to do what you need to do. Then that's right. like the most important. So that as a vocalist, I, I like write like that to make sure, you know. When you write, do you keep in mind things? I know you said that the studio is not your favorite spot, but do you think about the production as you're writing? Like, oh, we're going to double this voice and this is going to be this kind of synth. Or is it more about the notes themselves and then whatever instruments sort of play them and, and the particular sounds that are chosen are not as important in that process? Um, it's both. Like, you know, so some songs I wouldn't get to the finish line unless I had the sound, mm. you know, the synth sound or the, the, mm. the vocal thing on the vocal because it informs how you can sing it and, and what, what it does in, this in the song. So um, it just depends, you know. Some songs where you're just like, this is a classic soul. Like, mm. we already know what this is going to do. Yeah. I don't need anything. Like, yeah, so it just depends on, like, what the song is and... Um, you know, yeah, some song, I, I love the songs that are more specific on, or kind of rely upon a sound or, or something specific. Cause it just kind of makes mm -hmm. it fun to write. It's creative, you know? Yeah. 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 We you were mentioning your writing process involving just different instruments, depending kind of what you're feeling at the time. And I was wondering, um, I often wonder this about musicians. Do you have any gear favorites, like favorite keyboards, any, any favorites that kind of, you have to oh. shout out. Any weird <laughs> instruments that most people don't know about? Anything at all? Oh, We're just right. curious. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Um, I like, I, I don't know if I, let me think about that. Not, I mean, I've got like a lot of like analog synths, like the Prophet or just things like that. Like, okay. I have Moogs, I have... You know, sometimes I'll just find cool so sounds in like my Roland. Um, so there's nothing really specific that um, that I would say is so like out out of the box. I think yeah. that sometimes I'll um, I will record. I will use like like a sound or um, like my voice. A lot of times I beatbox things as a, as a, as like a starter place, yeah. or I'll like bang on things like as a percussion instead of the drums which end up actually staying in the track just because there was a certain swag to the that 
the vocal. Can you that name a song replaced. so people can look it up right now that in- incorporates something like that that you've created? Oh, that's um, on Spotify. <laughs> 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 um, like Queen of the Hill. Mm, there was okay. some stuff where I was like, Queen of the Hill by Judith Hill. Look it up. Pause. Listen to it. Come back. But come back. <laughs> yeah, there was some stuff in there that was like demo that wasn't intended to like actually stay, and then they stayed. Oh. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think that. A lot of times if I'm like demoing a song, I have to be careful because usually a lot of the stuff is going to stay just because it was, you know, something magical about it. Mm. So careful nice. in what sense? Careful that you recorded, right? Well, careful that I, um, <clears throat> not recorded right, because I've used some really janky, <laughs> like lo-fi mm-hmm. stuff that, that yeah. is what make it, makes it great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just like, yeah, just no, just be, I guess not careful, but just being aware, like you might, these are some of the things that you might and might like the song might need and you might okay. be stuck with it, you know, mm-hmm. so just kind of aware of it, you know, I see. more so when you like writing, when I'm writing like funk grooves and like interesting kind of eclectic kind of groups and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I read somewhere that you you sing in both English and Japanese. Is that true? I've sung in Japanese, yeah. Like I I don't I don't I wouldn't consider myself like fluent in Japanese, but I, I right. have sung in Japanese. I've worked with some Japanese artists and gone to Japan and and done some songs in Japanese. Um, yeah, I mean, I wish I, I I spoke it more. I wish my mom she stopped speaking to me when I was around like three or four, so I lost the language. Uh. With got you oh in japanese that's so yeah. cool <laughs> very yeah is it do you are those the two languages that you speak um i mean i, I mean i i can understand i mean i probably can speak and understand spanish more than japanese and i did live mm. in france for you know a year and, and sung in french because i was that was my first rodeo as a singer it was with the french rock star um so i can do that but yeah that's incredible stuff um what would what advice would you give to people listening now just on i don't know let's say practice and preparation because you've i mean you've had a whole life of learning things and wearing all these different hats musically so what would you say to somebody whether they're just starting out or pretty deep in the game now just as far as like stepping up to the next level Hmm. Um. I would just say, like, really get excited about the things that you love musically, and let that momentum build on itself until the point where it's almost an addiction. I think that mm. that's that's the best way to not feel like you're like practicing, because the moment yeah. you cross the threshold where you're just playing and, and and writing every day like drinking water and you don't even see it as practice or honing in anything you're just mm-hmm. you can't do without it that's yeah. where that's where i i've just noticed all the greats that i've been around they never practice they're never like okay i'm gonna go in and practice they just they just couldn't really stop mm-hmm. <laughs> so i mean wow. there's just yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. like okay. this love of it where it just becomes a lifestyle and you're like, this is just, I have to just write the song right now because it's just, that's just how I live, you know? I think right. that that's where it just like, 
once you cross that threshold, there's just so much creativity that's just coming out of you and the momentum is unstopped. It's like a freight train that they took oh, the brakes out of. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah. Point, like, there's no stopping the train. Like, you know, if you wow. build enough momentum, even if you have off seasons, and I'm not saying you have to do it every day, but even if right, you took right. like a month or two off, but if you've, you've developed a lifestyle where you just like, it just became almost like an addiction. Then yeah. you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna be doing it like no matter what. Yeah, okay. yeah, no, for so sure. So true. Oh, There's man. a saying that I love that I'm gonna botch right now because <laughs> I don't remember it verbatim. Uh, the things that you are that make you most uncomfortable are often the things that you need to do in order to succeed. And you kind of uh, touched upon that. Do you have anything either? in rehearsal or just in the business of music or preferably both that you hate doing that makes you uncomfortable but you find yields the most results and helps you move forward uh-huh um <clears throat> yeah i mean i think anytime i'm i'm really vulnerable um it opens up like something very powerful so the, the most terrifying like shame driven things that I do whether it's on stage like even like say like on a show if I mess up really badly or something or screw up something yeah and I'm like I feel, go into like oh shame like oh this was terrible that mm. actually ends up being the most like yielding the most powerful show and the results because I've yeah. kind of stopped caring at that point And I feel uh, like it's all, so it's like fight or flight. It's just like you just jump off the ledge at that point it. and everything becomes really wild and, and free and loose and it opens it up. So I, I don't know, it's a weird example, but I find that like any sort of like mistake, public mistake or anything like that, that's vulnerable and out there kind of really steps up the performance in a way. Mm -hmm. Do you still get nervous? Yeah, I get nervous. Um, and that nervous, see, that's, yeah, like that nervous energy can either make it greater or worse. Like, it, I find that, like, yeah. if I just, if I do the thing I'm scared of, the thing I'm so worried about, that's mm -hmm. that's when it just all gets really good. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> that makes sense. You know what? I did have a question that I wanted to ask you earlier, and I, I lost the moment, so I'm going to bring it back. Um, mm -hmm. You'd mentioned earlier you were doing a lot of backup background vocals earlier in your career what was the mental process um just as far as transitioning from working with artists from that perspective to being the front of the stage um <laughs> well it's funny because i don't really see it as a transition because i was always like mm. performing and that's true doing my own thing it's just weird that i it, the the little like the few gigs i did as a background singer Yeah. was just so high profile yeah that oh, right. like this weird situation where everyone's yeah. like man like tell me about your career as a background singer like i literally just rehearsed with michael for three weeks and then the <laughs> right. show didn't yeah. happen like yeah, yeah you know true. like mm. it's interesting because like i ended up the storyline was so um huge and like big yeah. but really i was just like kind of in rehearsal for a few weeks and And then, but I did go on after Michael. I did join Stevie Wonder's band, and that was actually I did spend. Oh, yeah, no year. big deal. <laughs> I know, right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, I was in Stevie Wonder's band for a year, and that was actually Whoa. probably like 
the real background experience I had because it, it was like it did happen. The shows were there. And that was like the opposite of Michael's show because Stevie is like he calls out songs and you have to hope you know He's them ready to go, yeah. you know, on stage. He's making up the show. And so <laughs> wow. for me, I just remember a few times where he would just like put me on the spot and like just have me like <clears throat> start like singing a song. And I'm like, that's not the one you told me but backstage. <laughs> Like, he oh, just man. literally will flip the script on you and, like, give me a total heart attack. So I think one thing I learned from that show yeah. is just how to be a good improv, like, the improv muscle of, like, yeah, yeah. what to do in a moment where you're like, whoa, okay, how do you turn this into something musical and, and right. like, you know, go with the flow. And for me, who was, like, in the classical world and was, like, all rehearsals, like, all about that, mm. like, that was definitely yeah. a different type of show, which was great. Yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing you've been able to kind of pull those feats off, especially, as you mentioned, coming from a classical background. That's uh, <laughs> pretty yeah. incredible. You must have nerves. I mean, I grew up steel. in the church, too, so I, I also... Yeah, so there's the like, balance. You know, you're right. Yeah, you're it wasn't right. like... Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. But, but Stevie was on a whole nother level of, like, let's just make... Let's just start singing let's the song and go. show that we never even... Yeah. Wow. Obscure, oh, songs like, you haven't even rehearsed. No, yeah, of course. Oh, no. just songs of his from his catalog. He was like, "You better know this because I'm Stevie." Know the whole catalog. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, just be like, "All right, he's just making up the show." Like, you know, every night is different. That's more amazing. so of the same, more like the same like hits he would do, but he would throw them in there. Just like, he just had, yeah. Have you ever had to be like, I, I don't know that song. I'm sorry. I'm just gonna stand here. <laughs> Yeah. Really? Yeah, Tambourine? Like, just <laughs> Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's no, interesting. He's, yeah. That's not, well, given all that, is there anything that still scares you or makes you nervous as it relates to performance? Um, I think it's just like, um, yeah, like, I mean, any, any time, like, like this year was like weird just because I hadn't done it for a year and a half and going back and just feeling like oh my god like how do you do this again like i think that like just when i'm not sure. doing it i get nervous but once i'm practice. like more on the stage and i'm there all the time i feel less nervous just um just because you're in it in that space but i get nervous like if it's a big television thing or mm. you know stuff like that i still get nervous yeah for sure got you well, I hope that you didn't feel too nervous chatting with, with us today. Oh, no. <laughs> ordinary guys. I'm just playing. <laughs> How dare me put myself in I that know. category. It's like of all the things you'd be nervous for, <laughs> the audacity. I'm playing. Um, I hope that you do end up coming to Toronto to perform at some time, and we'll definitely come check that show out. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, could you shout out your socials, let people know where they can find you? Um, so... I'm on Instagram, Judith Glory Hill, Judith Hill um, underscore Hill on Twitter and um, Facebook. And yeah, just keep on the lookout because we're announcing shows right now. We're in the middle of, of touring nice. and all of that. So love it. Yeah. Love it. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Great talking to you guys.
As a podcaster, you know that great content is only half the battle. The other half is finding the right hosting platform to reach your audience. That's where Captivate comes in. With unlimited podcasts, advanced analytics, and personalized support, Captivate has everything you need to grow your audience and monetize your show. Join the thousands of successful podcasters just like us who trust Captivate for their hosting needs. Visit dnaairwaves.com slash Captivate today to start your free trial.